Today is Tu B'Shvat, beginning tonight. And the Paiskim are all baffled by why exactly we don't say Tachanun on this day. I don't think anyone is really complaining. It doesn't take too much of excuses to, uh, to try to get out of Tachanun. I had a Talmud who once told me that he wanted to write a book on Tachanun. And he wanted to call it, What Did Tachanun Ever Do to You? <laughs> For some reason, people like getting out of Tachanun. There's a tremendous simcha that only a yid could un- understand uh, how a day that there's a chasen in the room on, you know, on, on a day of Urachum, that, that special tainug, the Eden HaNefesh that a person gets from avoiding Tachanun. If we'd only know what Tachanun really was, the Tachnunim that we say, we supplicate to the Rabbeinu Shalem on these days. But Tu B'Shvat is one of those days that we don't say Tachnun. And the Paiskim don't understand this. The Paiskim really grapple with what exactly is the great Yantif. If there was a Nase, if there was a Yeshua, if there was Hanukkah, there was Purim, there was some great event that happens in Jewish history that was a salvation, a Yeshua for Kal Yisrael, Mela, we don't say Tachanun, it's a Yantif. What exactly is the greatness of the day of Tu B'Shvat that should warrant Chazal to say, this is a day that we're being Mevatel Tachanun for Gans Kal Yisrael? What happened today? What goes on in the world that we should exempt ourselves from saying this special Tachanun Tfilah? It's also very strange that if you go out today on the Rosh Hashanah Lilanais and you're looking around at the trees, you take a walk in the, in the lander, uh, what do they call this here? Quad. quad. <laughs> the quad. I don't think that there could be a worse day to look at a tree. These are days that are dark, they're dingy, the trees are completely dead. I don't think there are any leaves on the tree. I didn't go out beforehand to check it out, but unless it's some of these weird, you know, full year, all year round bushes, but the trees are pretty dead. There's no leaves left after fall and a deep winter. There's just nothing but parched earth and, and dark grimness to the, to the night, and the trees are dead. This is not a Rosh Hashanah You want to see Rosh Hashanah go in, in the springtime, go to the uh, botanical garden, you see trees in full bloom, you see uh, uh, the beautiful uh, you know, fruit trees and, and, and flowery trees. Those are a time that you could declare that it's Rosh Hashanah But a day like today, this is a Rosh Hashanah This is the day that the trees are the barest the trees are, 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 are the, the, the least boastful. And this is the yantif for the Ilanis. So Chazal teach us something very, very important about today. It's true that the trees seem to be dead, and they are. There's no greater death in the lifespan, the annual lifespan of a tree than right now. But something is percolating underneath in the deep recesses of the tree, in the, 
in the bottom, in the roots of the tree, something is beginning today. The sap, which is like the lifeblood of the, of the tree, is beginning to rise. It's beginning to flow and it's beginning to go up the, the stem of the tree, the bark of the tree. And it's going to spread throughout all of the, the branches of the tree. And eventually, over the course of the next few months, it will bring new life to the leaves of the tree, to the fruit of the tree, to the, the buddings of the tree. It all begins today. On the day of death, on the day that there is so little that seems alive about the tree, that's precisely when the life begins. Ironically, And this Rabbi Yisai is the great Yisaid that Tubishvat offers us. Tubishvat teaches us that in order to grow, you must first experience darkness. If a person has a life that's constantly easy, that's never filled with any challenge, that you never have any agitation, you never have stress, you never have challenge, you never have sleepless nights, you never have anything to worry about. That seems like a gifted life, it seems like a blessed life. The problem with that type of life is that you never ever grow. You never are able to rise to any challenge, to be able to strengthen your inner core, to be able to prove to yourself who you really are, what you're made of because everything is easy street. We obviously daven that we shouldn't come lide nisayin. We're not asking. We don't put ourselves voluntarily into challenges. We obviously will always prefer to have an easier course than a hard course. Nobody wants, nobody davens, nor should we daven for challenges and, and, and headaches and stresses because we want to have a certain menuchas hanefesh we need it in order to learn, in order to daven, in order to be a normal human being. But when life does present challenges and stress and it seems sometimes unbearable, and I think we all know, we've all experienced that probably in our lives in one form or another or maybe on a constant basis, I hope not, but maybe on a, on a, on a very, very frequent basis, then you should know that all of those emotions, as terrible in the moment as they seem, are really stepping stones for greatness. The greatness that a person will attain comes from the darkness that he lives through. I heard once a recording from Rabbi Dr. Aaron Chworsky. He was a very famous uh, psychiatrist who uh, wrote, I think he wrote over 80 books. He's a very prolific author. And he, he specialized in addiction. And I once heard him say in a different time that, that he's also an addict. He's addicted to writing books. He has an addiction. It's an addiction like any other addiction. He happened to specialize in, uh, 
in 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 drugs and narcotics. He was uh, he had a special clinic, I think, in uh, in Pittsburgh, uh, one of the the top clinics for for these types of addictions. He's written Haggadahs just based on the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim in the in the context of people being addicted, being slaves to their to their addictions. But this was his expertise. And he once said, he was a very wise man, he was a big Talmud Chacham as well, he was Nifter, I believe, during COVID. And he said something very, very interesting, that he was once in the dentist's office, and he was reading a magazine while he was waiting for the dentist, and the magazine had an article, and the article was about lobsters, and how lobsters are able to, to grow. Because if you think about it, it should be impossible for a lobster to grow. A lobster has this very solid armor, this shell around it, and the shell really should restrict it from growing. It should all be, all lobsters should be very, very small by nature. So how, do they, how are they able to grow? Sometimes you see these lobsters, you know, on, in pictures or whatnot, and they're, they're huge, right? They're very big lobsters. How does that happen? So he was reading about it, and he said that the article says that when a lobster feels like um, claustrophobic inside of that shell, and it feels that agitation, and it feels like that, uh, the, the constriction of being in the mezar of a shell, it goes to a rock underneath the water, it hides and because it doesn't want to be vulnerable and pray to other, other fish in the sea that might attempt to, to uh, go for it once its, uh, once its shell and its claws are, are off, but it basically sheds its shell, and then it, regrow, it grows, it grows to a, the next size, and then it grows a new shell to protect it. And then as time passes and it gets even bigger, it grows even bigger, and it feels, again, that agitation, it, it can't contain itself inside of that shell, then it goes, again, under a rock, and it, and it sheds that, that shell, it grows, and then a new shell forms. And what Dr. Tversky took from this is a very big sight in life, exactly what we're saying this evening, that growth requires agitation, in order to grow, the lobster of all creatures teaches, we're not allowed to eat a lobster. It seems really actually a disgusting type of, you know, whatever it is to eat, but I, people obviously like it very much. I don't know how they could eat it. It's just I can't get past the, the look of it. But, but it does teach us a tremendous musr. We could even learn from a lobster that in order to grow, the only way to facilitate growth is through agitation, is by having that stress, by that constriction, by the, those moments of intense pain and challenge in life. And if you don't die from those moments, you grow from those moments. Whatever won't kill you makes you stronger. Throughout Jewish history, we have seen this again and again. 
the greatest growth of Kla Yisrael, the greatest blessings that Kla Yisrael have experienced throughout history is not in the good times. It's precisely after they have been faced with challenges that are beyond human comprehension, then and only then, not coincidentally, instead of going and, van- and, 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 and completely vanishing into the dustbins of history, as all the other great superpowers have throughout history, Klai Yisrael somehow magically gets stronger. Just a few examples, the Bayesheni. The Bayesheni was a tkufa of greatness, and then there was a churban of the Bayesheni. The churban of Bayesheni, if you read the Gemara and Gittin, involved the death and, and torture and humiliation of millions and millions of Yidden. The Romans came in, they massacred Jews, they took them captive, hostage, they brought them back to Rome, they paraded them through the streets of Rome with all of the booty from the Beis HaMikdash. It was a, it was a nightmare of a period of event. Imagine you have the Beis HaMikdash, Bivinyana, the great bias of Hordos, the beautiful, most beautiful bias, says that if you never saw, you want to see beautiful architecture, you have to see the binyan of Hordus. And it was destroyed. And Klai Yisrael went into Gullus, and that should have been the end of Klai Yisrael. That was it. We lost our Makma Mikdash. But instead, as a result of the Chorban, or in the aftermath of the Chorban, all of a sudden we had a, a tremendous rebirth and all of the Teresh Peh, the great parts of Teresh Peh, from Rabbi Akiva, the great Tanoim, and then going into the period of the Amirayim, all comes about after the B'chorim Bayesheni. Was that a coincidence? It wasn't a coincidence. It's because Klal Yisrael experienced tremendous stress, the darkness, the Cheshech of Bavel, the, the, the challenge to Klal Yisrael's existence, from that challenge precisely comes the Yeshua. If you fast forward in history, you have periods, the Crusades was also the bloodiest periods in history. We have no idea what was going on during these periods in Europe of the Crusades when in the, in the name of, uh, of religion, these Crusaders went from city to city throughout Europe and literally slaughtered man, woman, and child, all in the name of God. And also, that should have been the end. So many of the kinnis that we say on Tisha B'Av is about the period of the Crusades throughout Germany and Western Europe and other parts and Eastern... What happened after the Crusades or in that period right after the Crusades? The Rishayim, Rashi, the Balitaisis, all the great Rishayim that we have came about right after the Crusades. Again, the Tubashvat lesson... The lesson of from darkness comes the sap of life. When it seems dead, when things are most challenging, from that moment precisely, just be prepared for greatness. The Spanish Inquisition, another crazy dark period. And what comes out after the Spanish Inquisition? The Yidden started going to Eretz Yisrael, to Tzvas. We have the Arizal, we have Ramesh Kadavar, we have uh, all, the great, uh, all the great Kabbalah, all the great Svardim that emigrated from, uh, and the Shulchanach, the base of Kara, of course. Greatness in Tyra develops after these periods. And of course, if we fast forward to more recent times, the Holocaust, 
Nachmanu Latzan, six million on Nashim Nashim Etaf of Klai Yisrael were decimated over the course of a few years. And again, we should be complete. There should not be a tish right now here at B'derech There shouldn't be any Torah in the world, B'derech We should have been done. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, B'roi Rachmanusai arranged the greatest resurgence of Torah since, since the Bayesheni. Maybe the Bayes Rishen. That you have so much Torah being learned today in Eretz Yisrael and in America and in Europe and South America. The whole world is going crazy. The whole world is going, learning Dafyami. The whole world is Kailim, Beis Yaakov's, Yeshiva Katanas, day schools. Millions of Yidin from a Yidin are learning Torah throughout the world after the Holocaust. Coincidence? Absolutely not. It's this you say that from the moments of challenge come greatness. We find greatness within. And we find the Yeshua within. And I believe that that's the aside why we don't say Tachanan on, on Tubashvat. Because we asked, where, where's the Nase? Where's the Yeshua? The greatest Nase and the greatest Yeshua is precisely on Tu B'Shvat, if we understand this Yisait of Tu B'Shvat. It's the day that we're able to learn about history and about our own reality, that whenever we experience challenge, whenever things seem so bleak, you go outside, it's dark, it's gray, it's dead. No, no, no. At that moment precisely today, is when the sap begins to bubble underneath the ground and it's coming alive. Because we've been challenged, we feel that there is an imminent danger, and when we feel that way, we respond with greatness. A yid doesn't break, a yid doesn't bend, a yid arises. A yid, like the sap in a tree, goes higher and higher, a yid steigs. Because we feel that we have to. This is our mission. We can't die. Klai Yisrael is eternal, and we have to meet the challenge of eternity. And this is what our forefathers have done time and time again in every part of the world, whether it's B'nai Ashkenaz, B'nai Svarad, wherever they may be at any time in history, the more you challenge a Yid, the more you try to break a Yid, the greater the Yid becomes. We're living right now in times that are unfathomable. If we would be able to understand what's really going on in the world and we wouldn't hide in a bubble, maybe we have to for survival and to just be normal and to get through life, but if we would really be in touch with what is going on in the world as we speak, we would we would not be able to survive almost. Over the last couple of days, just on a personal note, I think many of you know, and I spoke about it a little bit at the Vod last night, I went through a, a 24-hour period. It wasn't, I'm not trying to, you know, make myself add into a tremendous Bal Yisurim, Baruch Hashem, I'm not. But for 24 hours, I had a kidney stone, and it was Yisurim Nairam. It was tremendous pain. But went to the hospital and got some morphine into me. And before you know it, um, 
you know, I'm back in yeshiva, Baruch Hashem, as good as new. But when I was in this tremendous tsar, I was thinking, do you know there are people right now as we speak that are hostages in Gaza? Hundreds of hostages right now as we speak, as we're here, and they don't know if they're ever getting out. Their relatives have no idea if they're ever getting out. We don't know if they're alive or dead. We don't know what conditions. We know that they're hard conditions. We don't, just don't know how hard they are. And there's no yaim, there's no lila, there's, they're in tunnels, dark, dingy. Imagine for yourself, for one minute, just try to imagine what it's like for that person in that dungeon right now, in a tunnel deep in Gaza, with bombing all around, with terrorists, you know, doing who knows what to you, tormenting you and saying things to you and hurting you and, and possibly worse. And how do you, how do you like, pass time? How do you, like, they're in over 100 days. Do you understand what 100 days is? They have no svarim to learn from. They have no uh, iPhone to look at. They have, no, uh, they have strangers with them in their cell. There's Arabs running around. How do you pass that time? Do you understand the psychological torture of one day? I have one day of torture that in a, in a, with all the creature comforts around me, and I couldn't bear it. I could not tolerate it. Imagine what's going on with people that are literally day after day in this, in this masker, masker nafshi. How do they do it? I, don't, I have absolutely no idea how they survive, how they live, for one day. And day goes, goes, turns into another day, into another day, and they're surviving, I don't know how. And then there are soldiers in the hospitals with limbs torn off. And they have to live with this for the rest of their life. They will always be maimed. They will always be injured and in pain and, and, and have to learn new skills. How do they do it? And then there are a thousand, over a thousand, 1,200 people that were killed on Simchas Tairo. 200, over 200 chayalim that were killed over the course of the, of, of the war since Simchas Tairo. 20 two people killed in one incident two days ago. It's not possible to understand the tzara that Klai Yisrael is going through. We don't like looking at the news anymore. We've already maybe pushed it to the back of our mind. Many of us don't even want to read the news anymore. And we pretend that life is normal. It's not normal, Rabbi Say. We're living in tremendously dark times. And we have to dive into the Rabbi Islam. They should be matzalas. But you should understand that somehow, some way, if we're able to respond appropriately during these times, to daven like we should be daven, to say to him like we should be, to acting like a, like a mensch with other people, to not fight with other people, to, to raise the bar of who we are, to learn properly and to chazer properly and, to, and to, to just try to raise and elevate ourselves during this time, then we could emerge, and Klai Yisrael as a whole can emerge much, much stronger than we were before. We already see the seeds of it. We see the achdos that has uh, come about as a result of Simchas Tairo. Before Simchas Tairo, last year, there was tremendous period in Klai Yisrael, in Eretz Yisrael, between the Chilonim and the Charedim, between the right and the left, and the protests and the marches and the Justice Department. Who knows what was going on in Eretz Yisrael? It was a terrible, terrible matzah. We were literally torn apart at the seam. And all of a sudden now you find that 
chilonim and charedim, chasidim, and people with tattoos, mechalei Shabbos, and and Litvish people, they're dancing together, they're eating together, they're keeping Shabbos together, they're putting on tefillin, they're wearing tzitzis. There's a, a... a hero tshuva like we haven't seen maybe since the, since the Six-Day War. There's already the sap coming into the trees in these dark times. And it's only going to get stronger. And we have to be part of Klal Yisrael. We have to also rise to the occasion like the sap inside and feel the renewal, feel the regeneration, the resurgence that is ripe at this time. You know, Paris are a mushal for mitzvahs. Elu dvaram sha'adam eichel peresein ba'elam azah. These are talking about mitzvahs. Paris are like mitzvahs. And so I want to tell you two stories tonight that are nageya. They're two b'shvat in the sense that they're both nageya mitzvahs in the, in the context of two bar mitzvah boys. Two bar mitzvah boys during this Tkufa of time. And I think both of them are very inspirational stories, and I think both of them will bring the point home in a very clear way. The first story is a boy from Sterot. His name is Itai. And Itai was supposed to have his bar mitzvah on Simchas of this year. And he prepared a whole year. His bar mitzvah day was Simchas Taira. He was going to lane the laning of Simchas Taira. And he was so excited. And all of his friends, all of his relatives were coming to Sterot for that Shabbos Simchas Taira. And of course, we know what happened. There was no bar mitzvah. Because everybody had to go into hiding that morning. And Itai got very depressed. His family was moved out of Sterot. They were living and they are living in a hotel somewhere in Yerushalayim. A lot of the people are living in hotels throughout the country. Itai and his family are living in a, in a hotel room in Yerushalayim. It sounds very luxurious. Imagine sitting in a hotel room, as fancy as it might be, for a hundred days. It's not kishmak. Hotel is nice if it's a nice hotel, and you're there for a few days, and then you, uh, you're able to go home again. You don't want to be stuck a whole family in a hotel room. That's not kishmak. Even with a big Israeli breakfast, it's, I've been on many recruiting trips, and like, you know, after two days of those Israeli breakfasts, chalas, just give me a cup of coffee and I'm good. But Itai was very depressed. How could HaKadosh Baruch Hu do this to me? How could he ruin my bar mitzvah? Does he not want to hear me lane? Is that what it's all about? Is that the message that I should take? And he was sitting depressed, since Simchas in his hotel room, and he was struggling with these philosophical issues. And there was a, a Rebetzin who lived nearby, and she was a trauma specialist. And she came to the hotel, and she was asking the families in the lobby, is there anyone here that would like to speak to me, to talk to me about their problems? And, you know, Israelis are very often very strong-minded and a little stubborn, and we're fine, go speak to some people in the hospital, we're good, we're, we're going to be fine, we're going to tough it out, we're pushing through, we're good. She said, okay. And then somebody said, by the way, there's one boy that looks very sad, looks very depressed, he could probably use a schmooze with you. His name is Itai. 
and she tracked him down, and he asked all these questions to her, like, why did Hashem do it to me? How could he do it to me? Does he not want to hear me, Lane? What should I take? What's the takeaway? How could this happen? And he was crying, and she let him cry, and she let him speak to him as long as he needed to. But she said, tell me the story. Tell me exactly what happened that Shabbos. She said, he said, I'll tell you. He said, my entire family converged on Sterot, my extended family, including my mother's brother, my dod Yossi, my uncle Yossi, who was a chayal, and he, was, he got a patur, he was supposed to be on, uh, on active duty that Shabbos, but he got a patur to come to my bar mitzvah. And he came, he stayed in the house next door to ours, and he came in his uniform, and with his radio, with his gun, with his Uzi, and Shabbos morning, the davening, Simchas morning was supposed to be at 7.30 in the main shul. Six o'clock in the morning, my uncle started hearing crackling on the radio, saying that there's been an infiltration, and he hopped that it was very nearby. And he went running out into the streets. He told his sister, do not let anyone out of the house. Everyone should go into hiding into the shelters. He went from house to house, and he went to the shul. The gabe was about to open up the door of the main shul where the bar mitzvah was supposed to be, and he says, keep the doors locked and say, nobody is allowed to come in. There's been an infiltration, and we have to, we have to take care of the problem first. Let everybody stay at home. And then the Arabs taka came uh, into Sterot. There was some, and, and the IDF were able to push back against them. There was a lot of fighting, intense fighting, but ultimately... The IDF was able to kill the terrorists, and Baruch Hashem, that whole community, Itai's family, etc., were, were saved that day. So the Rebetzin says to Itai, she says, let's reframe what happened. Instead of looking at it like it was a klala, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu sent this whole incident, the whole Simchas Torah uh, tragedy on your bar mitzvah, because of your bar mitzvah, your entire community was saved. If not for your bar mitzvah, your uncle wouldn't be in town. If your uncle wasn't going to be in town, we wouldn't have, you wouldn't have any idea that there was an infiltration. Your entire city would have looked like all the other communities, all the other settlements that were near Sterot that were completely you know, eviscerated during that Simchas Torah day in terrible, hard, unspeakable atrocities. And you were saved, your whole community was saved because of you. And all of a sudden she saw there was a sparkle in his eye, he was macabre. The next day she came back and he was alive again. And he was playing with his friends and he was, he was no longer depressed, he was, he was invigorated. His bar mitzvah was the catalyst of saving everybody's life. The sap came up through the darkness of, uh, of times. The worst of days in Israeli history was a time that the sap began to rise. This turnabout came about with a realization that it's precisely in times of great challenge and great struggle that we become stronger. There's another story that's told about another bar mitzvah boy during this Tkufa, there is a Judaica store somewhere in Eretz Israel that's owned by a, a person called Noam. 
He's a Svardi Balabayas, and he had a he had a Svarim store, and he did a lot of personalized embroidery of talus bags, of tefillin bags. And he had uh, on the day of Simchas Taira, he and everyone else were in total shock. For the next few days, he didn't go back to his store because there were no people on the streets. Everybody was in mourning. Everybody was in shock. Nobody was going to shop at all. And finally, after a week or so, he comes back to his store and he starts trying to take care of the outstanding orders. And he looks through a whole pile of of personalized uh, talus bags, fill-in bags, uh, yarmulkes, whatever it was on his desk in the store. And he, uh, he sees that one... Tefillin bag was for a bar mitzvah boy. His name is Yagel Yaakov, and he sees that he's from Kibbutz Kibbutz Nir Oz. Nir Oz is one of the kibbutzim that, that suffered tremendous losses on Simchasteira, very near the, the border with Gaza and the Hamasniks Yimach Shemam came in and they. They, they did terrible, terrible things in Kibbutz Niroz. And they took a lot of hostages from there. And he had a bad feeling, Noam, about this boy. Like something was off. Niroz, a boy, and he didn't hear from the mother, from the parents, nothing, no, no follow-up. But there was a phone number on the, on the receipt, and he calls the number, and the mother picks up, and he says, you know, there was an order placed, um, Noam from the Judaica store, uh, Bar Mitzvah boy, uh, Yagel Yaakov, what's the story? Uh, so she says, you know, unfortunately, my son, Yagel Yaakov, and his brother, his older brother, and his father, were all taken hostage on Simchas and haven't spoken to him, haven't heard from him. His bar mitzvah is in about, uh, about a, a month, but um, a month and a half, and, uh, and, but I haven't heard from him. He's, in, he's deep in Gaza somewhere. So he says, he says I'm sorry. He says, I wanna, I'll give you a full discount on the order. I understand. I'm very sorry. I'm going to daven for him. She says, what are you talking about? Pitom. I mean, a discount on the order. He's going to be home. He's going to come home any day. And he's going to have his bar mitzvah. And he's going to need his, tal- his tefillin bag with his tefillin in it. And, uh, and you're going to send it to me ASAP. You're going to send it to me right away. I need it for, his, for the bar mitzvah. And he was like thinking to himself, you know, this woman is out of her mind. I mean, that's not happening. At this time, the, the IDF didn't even go into Gaza yet. It was still... Early in the in the right after uh, after some they didn't yet move in to push into Gaza, and there was no chance in anyone's mind that any hostages would be returned at this point. And he, but he didn't want to burst her bubble, so he said, "Okay, fine." And he sent it to her, and they finished the transaction. So. What happened was. That Erev his bar mitzvah, on the 53rd day of his captivity, he was freed. Him and his brother were freed. His father is still there, but him and his brother were freed. 
he was returned to Eretz Yisrael to his mother's arms. He was sitting in, uh, in the hospital, be, recuperating from his trauma, and they had a small bar mitzvah party in the hospital room, and he put on his tefillin for the first time there. The amazing P.S. of this story is that on the 53rd day of, the, uh, uh, of his being hostage, when he was freed, the corresponding Kapitel Tillim, Kapitel Nun Gimel, 53rd chapter of Tillim, ends with the following Pasuk. Miyitain mitziyain Yeshua Yaakov. Who will give from Tziyain the Yeshua, the salvation of Yaakov? Where in Eretz Yisrael are we going to be able to find any Yeshua for Yaakov? Bishuv elikim shavus amai. The answer is when Akadosh Baruch Hu returns the captives of his nation. Shavus amai. Yogel Yaakov, Yismach Yisrael. Yogel Yaakov. That was the Bar Mitzvah boy's name on the fifty-third day of his captivity when he was freed. The fifty-third capital of Tilim, speaking about how there's going to be evil perpetrated in the world. Hakadosh Baruch Hu, we need your Yeshua. And the pasuk, the capital ends with this amazing pasuk: Miyitain Mitzia in Yeshua is Yaakov. How are we going to find in Eretz Yisrael the Yeshua for Yaakov? When HaKadosh Baruch will return the captives of his nation, Yogel Yaakov, then Yaakov will rejoice, Yismach Yisrael, Klai Yisrael will be happy again. The greatest Yeshua comes from those moments of Tsar. The Tsara breeds salvation. It's not a contradiction. It actually is the agitator. It's the, it's the catalyst to bring about great hope for Klai Yisrael. When we have in our personal lives Tsaras, and it's horrible, whether it's physical, it's mental, it's financial, it's emotional, it's, it's social, whatever the with family issues, whatever we have, we all have issues. Every single person in this room has issues galore. Those are blessings. You can look at it as your greatest crutch, or you can look at it as your greatest salvation. The greatest hope is when things look so dark, feel so empty in our lives, feel, we feel isolated, alone, pained. Understand that at that moment is exactly the moment of greatest growth. If you react normally to it and you respond well to it and you're able to push through and be able to endure the pain for the moment, understand that there will be greatness following it very shortly. Precisely because we've lived through the hardship, we're able to experience great Yeshua. Yagel Yaakov Yismach Yisrael. Today is a day that we could tap into this. The darkest times in our lives is now, but understand that there's sap running under us, through us, in our veins, that will enable us to be greater people at the end. Klai Yisrael is already a greater nation. It's just going to get greater. You have to bet on Klai Yisrael every time that there is this down thing, that we have Tsaris, and the whole world is against us.
and there's anti-Semitism galore. And in college campuses and on streets of Manhattan and on, in Chicago and in Los Angeles and everywhere in the world, there's massive demonstrations against Klai Yisrael. All of a sudden, the whole world loves terrorism. All of a sudden, the whole world doesn't understand what happened on Simchas Tairo. All they see is the reaction of the Jewish people. Don't bet against Klai Yisrael. Always bet on the side of Klai Yisrael, precisely in these moments. Because if you're on the, the coattails of Klai Yisrael, if you ride with Klai Yisrael during these times, you will see tremendous Yeshuas. We will see as, a, as an aftermath of this Mohammed, as an aftermath of this great crisis that we're living in, we have to feel the Tsaris, but from those Tsaris are going to come great Yeshuas. And that's the nace and the Yeshua of Tubishvat. That's why there's no Tachanun, and that's why it's such a special night to spend together, us as yeshiva, together, with beautiful music and, and delicious food and a great ruach, and stick around after the, 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 these words are over. Don't run out. If you can, stay, and you'll hear more beautiful music and more hisiris from the, from, from, from the guitar, from the, from the violin, and from our souls. These are... Moments that we have to cherish. Tu B'Shvat is a day that we can really relate to this year, perhaps more than any in the recent past. Because it's so dark, and it's so dreary, and it's so scary. But at that moment is when the greatest growth occurs.